Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. On this special bonus episode, we are going to examine the comments made in court on November 11th by William Bryan's defense attorney, Kevin Goff, regarding the presence of two black pastors in the courtroom at the invitation of Ahmaud Arbery's family. These comments almost immediately rose to national attention and were followed the next day by additional comments by Mr. Goff seeking to quell the public furor over his remarks. At the end of this episode, we will be joined by Jury Duty consulting producer Paul Butler to offer his comments on this controversy. We will bring all of that to you right after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mr. Goff's controversial remarks were made on the afternoon of November 11th, while the jury was on a break from hearing the recorded testimony of a witness, and the lawyers were in a logistics hearing with Judge Walmsley. We begin this episode by playing that segment of the hearing in its entirety. The first voice you hear will be that of William Bryan's lead attorney, Kevin Goff. I was reminded of one matter that I wanted to address. My understanding, while I was cross-examining Investigator Lowry yesterday, is that the right Reverend Al Sharpton managed to find his way into the back of the courtroom. I'm guessing he was somehow there at the invitation of the victim's family in this case. And I have nothing personally against Mr. Sharpton. My concern is that it's one thing for the family to be present. It's another thing to ask for the lawyers to be present. But if we're going to start a precedent starting yesterday, we're going to bring high-profile members of the African-American community into the courtroom to sit with the family during the trial in the presence of the jury. I believe that's intimidating, and it's an attempt to pressure, could be consciously or unconsciously, an attempt to, to pressure or influence the jury. To my knowledge, Reverend Al Sharpton has no church in Glen County, never has. Hasn't been here since Elaine Brown ran for mayor, to my knowledge. But we have all kinds of people. We have school board members. We have county commissioners. We have all kinds of pastors in this town, over 100. Uh, And the idea that we're going to be serially bringing these people in to sit with the victim's family one after another, obviously, there's only so many pastors they can have. And if their pastor's Al Sharpton right now, that's fine. But then that's it. We don't want any more black pastors coming in here. Or other, Jesse Jackson, whoever was in, was in here earlier this week, sitting with the victim's family, trying to influence a jury in this case. And I'm not saying the state is even aware that Mr. Sharpton was in the courtroom. I certainly wasn't aware of it till last night. But I think the court can understand my concern uh, about bringing people in who really don't have any ties to this case, 
other than political interests. Uh, and we want to keep politics out of this case. So I'm asking the court to take appropriate steps to make sure that the gallery, which is already limited in this case, isn't being utilized for a purpose that could be viewed as improper. Thank you. Thank you. Any other defendants? We would join that motion. I don't know if it's a motion, but what is the motion? It's not like a motion. It's a, it's, a, it's a reminder of the court's previous instructions to keep outside influences outside the court. From state? Uh, it's a public courtroom, and I have no idea how the Reverend Al Sharpton appeared to be here. Um, so the state had no part in that whatsoever. So the state is unaware of how that occurred or how he came to be seated with the family. If a bunch of folks came in here dressed like Colonel Sanders with white masks sitting in the back, I mean, that would be So let me tell you what I had heard at lunchtime today. was, And I, what I had heard yesterday before lunch is that there was going to be um, – uh, that the Reverend Al Sharpton was going to be appearing on the courthouse uh, and uh, appearing with the family. Uh, I was asked at lunch whether the court had any objection to um, Reverend Al Sharpton coming into the courtroom. And I said, as a member of the public, uh, there are certain limitations on what we can do here. What is going on? And what I was told was instead of having someone from the family sitting in the courtroom, that he was going to be sitting there instead of somebody else from the family. And my comment to that was simply, as long as things are not disruptive and it's not a distraction to the jury or anything else going on in the courtroom, so be it. But if it violates the court's rules with regard to the conduct of the trial or violates my orders with respect to how people are to conduct themselves in this courtroom, I will take it up with whomever I need to take it up with. Well, I will tell you that I noticed him once and that was it. And the fact that nobody else even noticed that he was in here means that everybody complied with this court's rulings on sitting in this courtroom and listening to the evidence. I don't hear a motion and I will tell you this, I'm not going to blanketly exclude members of the public from this courtroom. Um, if individuals based on the limitations that we have in the courtroom, um, end up sitting in the courtroom and they can do so respectful of the court's process and in compliance with this court's orders with regard to the conduct of the trial and they're not a distraction, then I'm not going to do anything about it. And I did not hear from anyone that there was any distraction whatsoever. In fact, what I just heard is nobody was even aware that he was in here. Except Mr. Sheffield. We were aware. It was not a distraction. Okay. Maybe that, but not a distraction. So again, I'm not, I'm not sure what the motion was. Well, and I will point out there's a large barrier that sits. He was sitting in the back corner of the courtroom. I'm not even sure the jury would have seen him sitting there. Nobody has brought it to my attention other than what was just presented as an observation by Mr. Goff. I am not making a blanket rule about attendance in this courtroom. And I, let's not overstate what's going on here, Mr. Goff, because this will become a distraction that we're going to waste a bunch of time on. If you weren't even aware of it until later, I'm not sure what we're doing. Yeah, what we're doing is the question is not whether the lawyers are aware of it, the question is whether the jurors are aware of it. Ten of the twelve jurors are sitting in the box 
and see a good part of the gallery. And we do live in a small town, and that's where we're trying this case. And we have 12 jurors who are trying to remain, maintain their anonymity here. Several have expressed concern about it. When we allow people in this courtroom who are not part of the case but have interests in it, and the jurors can eyeball them and recognize that it's the people they know from TV, then that is intimidating. I'm not making a motion at this time, but if it becomes a problem, as it has been a problem for me in other cases in this courtroom, then I'm gonna, then we're going to bring it back up. And I, I just don't want anybody to say, we had no idea this was, this was an issue. It's an issue for the Bryan defense. No motion for the court, though. One of Greg McMichael's attorneys, Laura Hogue, and Kevin Goff's co-counsel, Jessica Burton, were seen on camera reacting with apparent involuntary dismay at Goff's comments about black pastors. We did hear Bob Rubin, one of Travis McMichael's attorneys, seeming to agree with the bulk of Mr. Goff's comments toward the end of that clip. However, the next day, Travis McMichael's other attorney, Jason Sheffield, distanced himself from Mr. Goff's remarks regarding wanting, quote, no more black pastors, end quote, calling them asinine and ridiculous. Mr. Goff rose again the next morning before witness testimony began and said the following. I've been asked to address some comments the other day. The court hasn't asked me to do that. Whatever you've been asked to do has not been asked by the court. Very well. I will let the court know that if my statements yesterday were overly broad, I will follow up with a more specific motion on Monday, uh, putting that and those concerns in the proper context. And my apologies to anyone who might have inadvertently been offended. All right. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Joining us now to discuss all of this is Georgetown Law professor, MSNBC analyst, and one of the nation's most frequently consulted scholars on issues of race and criminal justice, Paul Butler. Paul, during yesterday's hearing, the defense attorney for William Roddy Bryan, Kevin Goff, objected to the presence of, quote, these people, end quote, in the courtroom. And he was making reference to Al Sharpton's visit to the courtroom. And to quote Kevin Goff, he said, I think the court can understand my concern about bringing people in who really don't have any ties to this case other than political interests. And he also said, if a bunch of folks came in here dressed like Colonel Sanders with white masks sitting in the back, I mean, that would be, and then he was cut off by Judge Walmsley. What do you make of all this? And what do you make of the way that the judge handled it? So, Kira, I guess it's not enough that there's a virtually all white jury in a case in which three white men are accused of lynching an African-American man. 
now one of the defense attorneys, Mr. Goff, wants to control which black people are allowed to attend a public trial. So the judge shut this lawyer up with dispatch because his complaint is not only racist, it's asking the judge to do something that's unconstitutional. There's precedent for this concern that having certain people in the audience at a jury trial is trying to send a message to the jury. But judges and courts have consistently rejected those kinds of concerns. Sometimes when a police officer is being prosecuted for a crime, the audience is full of officers in uniform there to show their support for their sister or brother officer who's the accused person. Is that supposed to send a message to the jury? Probably. Do those officers, as people who live in the United States, have a right to attend a public trial? They absolutely do. I also am thinking about a precedent when prosecutors expressed these concerns. This was in the 1990s when former D.C. Mayor Marion Berry was on trial for drug charges. Now, he was the popular elected mayor, African-American, in a city that had deep racial divisions. And famously, he believed that he had been set up by a white prosecutor who was trying to bring a popular African-American mayor down. At Mayor Barry's trial, there were prominent African-American religious leaders in attendance in support of the mayor, including uh, Louis Farrakhan, the controversial leader of the Nation of Islam, and radical Roman Catholic priest named George Stallings, who was famous in D.C. for complaining about racism in the Catholic Church. He was an African-American priest. So at the time, both of these visitors would have been well-known to the jurors, and prosecutors complained that Mayor Barry had invited them to send a message to the jury. And the court, once again, quickly shut down that concern. So it's not that the jury won't notice that these people are here, and they might well wonder why. But in the eyes of the law, that's no different from when a mom or dad attends and cries during portions of the trial that are emotional. The jurors notice all of that, but in the United States, we don't have secret trials. We don't have apartheid trials where white ministers can come, but not African-Americans. Paul Butler, thanks again for your time today. It's always a pleasure. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. 
You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. This episode was written by Art Montrostelli. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.